Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Pam Palmiter, Mi'kmaq lawyer, professor, activist, and politician from Mi'kmaq course, also a friend of mine. Welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. I'm super pumped. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Listen, uh, sorry. Sorry, I'm not sorry, but I'm sorry. I'm so not sorry. I'm so (laughs) sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry you want me to be sorry, but okay, fine. I'm sorry. Does this all sound familiar, Pam? Uh, I think that's literally you've you've said the speech of every politician in this country ever. Ah, politicians and the Vatican. There was a delegation Mm -hmm. put together by the Assembly of First Nations, which was scheduled to travel to the Vatican to receive an apology from the Pope in the church's role in Indian residential school, except Omicron. (laughs) Viruses aside, we're going to take a look at how the media has covered this hot potato that is religion in indigenous communities. And also today on the show, The Ring of Fire is not just a Johnny Cash song. It's also one of the most contentious new mining developments in all of Canada. We're told the future of manufacturing electric cars is in the hands of Northern Ontario. I just think someone should have told Mishkandaga, Fort Albany, and Attawapiskat the news. Anyway, welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. (laughs) 
This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Michael Arthur, Finlay Hahn, Callie Joyce, Matthew Verrett, Ruth Warkington, Richard Konarski, Misha Moet, and Dafe. My name is Dafe. I'm a graduate student living in Toronto. And I support Canada Land because they've managed to create a model that goes beyond chasing headlines and following the news cycle, but actually investigating and covering a lot of stories that others don't. Um, I really think it's the future of news, and I'd like to see a lot more of it. A delegation of about two dozen Indigenous leaders planning to meet the Pope at the Vatican later this month has postponed their trip. The spread of the Omicron variant has made them reconsider the timing of the visit. The trip was announced in June with the hope of securing a papal visit to Canada and an apology for the role the Catholic Church played in the residential school system. Earlier this month, we spoke to a former head of the Assembly of First Nations, Phil Fontaine, about why that meeting has significance for us all. This December, a delegation made up of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people was supposed to head out to the Vatican and meet with Pope Francis in an effort to pave the way towards an official apology for Catholic-run residential schools. But we heard this week this event might not happen as planned and that it is likely postponed due to concerns over the Omicron variant. Of course, there are all kinds of reactions to this because the papal apology is a really highly charged issue and a contentious one in Indian country. But what we want to talk about today is, you know, the Canadian media coverage. We're not sure if the apology is going to happen or was supposed to happen or if it was even on the table. Because according to APTN, among other sources, the papal apology was not on the agenda for the planned Vatican trip. On the other hand, when you read CBC or the Globe and Mail, you would think there is a feeling of hope in the air. Uh, This headline uh, via the Canadian press expresses that hope. Former national chief remains hopeful before second trip to Vatican. And so, you know, it is confusing. What was on the table? uh, What wasn't on the table? I suppose we will never know, as it does sound like the trip is being delayed and There are hopes now that the Pope will be coming for the September 30th National Day of Commemoration for Indian Residential School survivors. But it's interesting that both of these articles uh, quote Phil Fontaine, who is a a former national chief with the Assembly of First Nations. He's also a residential school survivor. And back in 1990 was the first uh, high-profile Indigenous person to speak publicly about uh, residential schools and surviving sexual abuse in the media. So, you know, a voice familiar with the story and someone, a person of note. But in in this instance, Phil Fontaine seems to be potentially contradicting things here. And what I want to kind of think about and talk about and tease out with you, Pam, is, you know, there's a small pool of voices that end up shaping the discourse around Indigenous issues in Canada. And it seems to me that in this case, this small pool started to set the discourse around this visit. And it seems to me that this happens whenever flare-ups occur, blockades, uh, points of interest in the news. And I guess I'm wondering if you're kind of seeing the same thing happening over and over again to sort of set the discourse. Yeah, I think it's applicable in a wide variety of scenarios. Whenever there is a media hotspot, something is just outrageous in the media, lack of clean water, um, unmarked graves, RCMP invading Indigenous lands. 
The reaction then is to go to politicians, generally, first and foremost, and a small number of them. And then it's always to look for, you know, what happens now. And it's almost always, A, an apology of some kind, if it's a historic thing, or if it's an ongoing thing, a meeting. As if those two things are going to be the magic solutions to what's happened or what is ongoing. And and you even see that it becomes such a powerful discourse that grassroots people then think, well, these are the things I'm asking for. If it's historic, I'm asking for an apology. And if it's ongoing, I want a meeting with somebody. You know, like yeah. a meeting's going to be it. And those two things serve very, very limited purposes. And that's with all due respect uh, to people who need like, apologies for healing, for example, or they need a meeting for healing to get their voice out. But ultimately, it doesn't make reparations for past harms, and it doesn't stop current abuses from happening currently or in the future. That's right. And whenever Indigenous issues come up, I feel like there are two things that happen. And I know you're familiar with this because you are a public figure. You are someone of high profile that often ends up on the news, uh, you know, deconstructing these things for Canadians to consider. But you do so with a unique connection, I think, to the grassroots. And so you've got one ear sort of on the ground with the people. and You've got the, another ear in the mainstream kind of figuring out how to communicate between the two. But do you feel like there's constantly like an uh, what I would call like an inside the circle versus an outside the circle conversation, meaning the inside the circle is the one that we have with each other to try to fight it out and figure out what's right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And then outside the circle is the more public one. And those two things happen sort of side by side. And I, I wonder if drawing on these small pools of people can fairly or equally represent the inside the circle conversation. Yeah, well, you've raised something that's really important. Obviously, when people are speaking in the media, they're coming from a certain perspective, you know, whether they're a politician or an academic or so-called grassroots. But we often forget that even on big issues like this, even if there's a small number of high-profile politicians, that this apology, this is what it is that we need, we can't also forget to cover the thousands of grassroots people, residential school survivors, Indian Day school survivors, and, and other survivors of state abuses and atrocities that don't want an apology. They don't want the Pope to come here. In fact, that's the very last thing they want, and they've said that that would be trauma traumatizing and triggering. And these are the kinds of conversations we have at the community level, actually listening to survivors and families of survivors say, listen, if the Pope comes here, first of all, that's traumatizing for many people uh, because they've so long defended all of these, you know, sexual predators. But then if the Pope says one thing out of line or says one thing that is degrading or humiliating or in any way can be misconstrued, you're now like re-traumatizing people and that apology goes AWOL. And then what is the apology without everything else that goes with it? Like, hello, are you committing to bringing all of the documents? Are you committing to compensation? Are you committing to reparations? How are you going to hold all of your predators to account? Like, mm -hmm. you've you got to come with some kind of package. And so what if the Pope does come here? And what if they do apologize and manage not to trigger anyone with that apology or even being in this territory, but they don't offer anything else? Like, is anyone listening to the grassroots people who are very concerned about this and what could happen? 
Right. Well, you brought us naturally to the next point, which is there is hope, I will say. I'm, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm not here to just say all things are bad, though that's usually what I do. Um, <laughs> I, I can say that, you know, a lot of the more nuanced coverage of things writ large in Indigenous, but in this case, the papal visit or, or potentially the delegation going to the Vatican, the Indigenous-led coverage did get more nuance mm-hmm. and a little bit deeper. There's a really complex relationship with the Métis community in Manitoba in the church and uh, Mr. Chartrand of the MMF, mm. uh, long-serving, <laughs> I know I didn't want to do it either, <laughs> but uh, long-serving uh, ruler, or, sorry, president of the MMF, uh, don't edit that out. Um, <laughs> he wants his community to come back to faith. And so, you know, it's not so black and white. And it's not just anti-church versus uh, pro-church, no. right? It's, it, it is more uh, complex and, and nuanced. Uh, than that. Yeah, of course. And then, you know, this raises a whole lot of roles is what is the role and responsibility and ethical dimension of political leaders in any organization, Métis, First Nation, Inuit? Is it their role to make that kind of call out, to say, come Catholic Church and build more churches and, you know, Christianize our people? Like, Does he have a mandate from the Métis Nation in Manitoba to do that? Because most of the backlash that I saw on social media all came from Métis people, all members of the MMF saying, what are you doing? Like, this is not what we want. We don't want to be re-traumatized. Now, some people would welcome that. But is that his role as a politician to now be deciding those kinds of things in the context of such such horrendous atrocities that happen at the hands of the Catholic Church that have yet to be addressed, that have yet to be remedied, that have yet to be, you know, reparations made or documents. That, like, we don't even know the whole truth of it yet. Right. So I think it's a little, I mean, that really struck me uh, that, and I felt for the Métis people that were speaking out saying, you know, what are you doing making this call? And is, this, is that his role to do? And I would think that it probably isn't. Mm. Yeah, well, and and back to your original point, like when the mainstream media just calls on the small circle of people that they know will answer the phone, mm-hmm. um, I think this is where they, you know, do get in trouble. Where you do call on that that small handful of politicians and, and tastemakers that mm-hmm. that will give you the goods from their own point of view. But I want to shout out one local journalism initiative because you know they had a chance. Jeremy Appel, his story at Alberta Native News ran in the Toronto Star. And it offered more uh, community voices. And, you know, the local journalism initiative is is similar to a newswire. And that, it's that the, the initiative itself provides uh, funding to eligible Canadian media organizations to hire journalists or pay freelance journalists to produce civic journalism for underserved communities. So there is a chance that uh, in, in this specific example, Jeremy Appel's story, that you do find a lot more nuance and grounded community voices. Mm-hmm. So, again, I want to point towards you know what is wrong, but also uh, in, in this case something that something that really worked. Yeah. So, so I guess I want to wrap this up, but just kind of think a little bit more about you know what this means in the mainstream media. Uh, how are they going to be able to tell? a nuanced, grounded, and complex Indigenous story. And I know it seems like every time I get to co-host this show, we're talking about the same thing over and over again. How can the mainstream media improve Indigenous stories and and, and reporting in Indigenous communities? And 
and it's challenging and it's an ongoing conversation, but does it come down to diversity in the newsroom? Well, it seems so. And so the CAJ uh, diversity study uh, was just released and close to 4,000 journalists participated in the study. If um, my numbers are correct in front of me, 3,873 of them, 53% of the respondents were women, 75% of the respondents were white, 200 newsrooms participated. And we are looking at under 7% of the respondents in the CAJ's diversity survey were indigenous, 6.4% of respondents. So it's interesting. These numbers are low. We know they are low. Uh, We know that the CAJ and others are pushing for more representation in the newsroom uh, and getting people inside of the newsroom, making decisions on how to tell better stories. Are you shocked by these numbers at all, uh, Pam? No, uh, no, I'm not shocked by these numbers at all. Um, I I think there's been a really problematic development. So, yes, we're in a better place, I think, you know, mainstream and independent media-wise now than we were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But just because we're in a little better place doesn't mean we're in the place we need to be. And although it feels like for people like you and I, Ryan, especially you, you must feel like you're saying the same things over and over. It's always to different audiences at different times and people who need to hear it and be reminded because, you know, I don't need to tell you in the past, our voices weren't included in mainstream media, which is part of the reason why social media was, you know, literally took off in our communities. But the same thing with independent media. Our voices weren't being covered, so we're going to cover our voices. And then it started to change. And yes, of course, our voices started to be covered. uh, But then it was, you know, the singular native male politician voice. So it was like, you know, there was only one dimension. It's whatever the Assembly of First Nations said. You know, whatever the Inuit Tapir Kanatami said, for example. And that was obviously very limited in so many ways. Native women's voices weren't in there. And then they started to include more, but they still very much huddle around the safety of organizations under the assumption that they are representative on all these issues. And we know some of them don't even have mandates to cover these issues. But then we moved into a really disturbing trend where, yeah, sure, we're going to welcome a variety of voices, but they're always opposing each other. So you've got the land defender and the CEO of a pipeline company and, you know, let them hash it out. And then it's, you know, it's almost like entertainment. And they they haven't fully grasped the, 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 the wealth of knowledge and experience from people from a wide variety of things. Now, obviously, this is what I'm saying is very general and some do it better than others. Some of them are moving right along. And I guess on the other side of things, in terms of the hiring of people, there's been a tendency to hire the more visible or audible so that you can say, oh, look, see, we're representative of Indigenous voices, whereas all of the people that control the headlines, the editing, what gets covered, what doesn't get covered, what story gets chased, who gets interviewed, like all of the power players tend not to be Indigenous for the most part. And so that has a significant impact. Great, you send out a Native news reporter, but if he's covering the issues that we're not concerned about, how is that any better? Or if you have a horrendously racist title, how is that helping anything? And so we still got a lot of kinks to work out. But like I said, there's a lot of people, you know, it varies in degrees of who's doing well and 
who isn't doing so well. Right. And I, I think, you know, an, an ongoing commitment to doing better is important and being accountable is important. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is where I think it's, you know, valuable to shout out the work of, of people inside of the CBC Indigenous unit that are inside mm-hmm. the CBC, so inside the bureaucracy, but, you know, really connecting to their communities and the communities they are familiar with in an effort to bring those stories mm-hmm. out to uh, some of Canada's largest platforms. I know it's challenging. I know it's an ongoing dance and sometimes people step on your feet and uh, don't know how to dance, but uh, I suppose <laughs> to be continued as always. <laughs> yeah. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Uh, Pam, on this show, each and every week, we offer up what is called a duly noted Something in the news that may not have caught the traction you had hoped, but something you want to duly note. Do you have one for us? Oh, my gosh. Do I ever. I mean, how could the media have not better covered the horror movie that actually played out in Wet'suwet'en territory with RCMP using chainsaws without a warrant to cut into a cabin and using an axe. I mean, literally, it's like they took the script from The Shining and Jack Nicholson breaking in, honey, I'm home with his axe. I mean, how can we let this happen and that not be on every news station for a week when we're talking about harmless, peaceful, unarmed land defenders who have the right to defend their territories and occupy their territories. Just, it's absolutely incredible that it didn't get the same kind of alarm that I did. I mean, I honestly thought it was a joke at first. Is this real? This is literally how The Shining rolled out in its horror movie. Duly noted. 
My duly noted this week is that in Northern First Nations and in First Nation communities writ large, they are rolling out vaccinations to kids inside of the schools. And I just want to duly note that um, in our communities, everything begins with our babies. Mm -hmm. Everything begins with our children. And to see this uh, happening and to see the way that First Nations and Indigenous people writ large responded to the call for vaccination um, some of the highest vaccination rates in the country are uh, in Indigenous communities. And to see them roll this out in a kind and gentle way for the children in the communities uh, makes my heart sing. So I would like to duly note that the movement to keep the kids safe in First Nations, Inuit, Métis communities is on. And I wish everyone in the best in their efforts at keeping our young people safe. That's duly and lovingly noted. So, Pam, you might already know about The Ring of Fire, but some of our listeners won't. The Ring of Fire, of course, great Johnny Cash song, but it's also a minerally dense area in northern Ontario. And there's a proposed upcoming mining development to produce minerals for electric vehicle batteries, or so says Premier Doug Ford. And he says uh, this will be a massive win for First Nations. (laughs) This line, of course, is being parroted by various media in Ontario and nationally. And CBC's Mike Crawley, back in November, took that line and ran it straight. Doug Ford's hopes for Ontario's electric vehicle industry hinge on mining its ring of fire. It's it's incredible. And, you know, when you were opening up and saying that this was a proposed development? How is it proposed when you have the Premier Doug Ford literally saying, this is going to happen if I have to jump on the bulldozer and do it myself? (laughs) It's like, first of all, I'd like to see you do some hard labor um, and actually understand how people out in the real world have to work. But second of all, you've presupposed it. You don't care whether or not First Nations consent or don't consent. It's like, it's going to go ahead anyway. And, you know, this whole big win, who is he to say whether it's a win for First Nations or not. I mean, this is literally how every devastating thing that's ever been done to us has been justified. You know, that it's good for you, or it's a win for you. Residential schools are good for you. You'll be civilized. You know, religion's good for you. You'll be saved. Extraction's good for you. You'll get jobs. Assimilation's good for you. You'll be like us. You know, they need to stop talking and telling us what's good for us and actually listen to us. We clearly have the right to free prior and informed consent, which means yes or no, or maybe with conditions or maybe later. Um, And stop telling us what's good for us, because all that does is set us up to be against what is supposedly good for us. And then it makes us look unreasonable and irrational to the Canadian public or Ontarians in general. And that just really does us a disservice and doesn't allow us the time we need in our communities to decide what is or isn't good for us on the ground. Well, there are so many problems here with the articles that just take the Ontario Conservative Party's talking points and runs them without further investigation. Mm -hmm. First of all, Doug Ford is on the record of saying that the Ring of Fire is a massive gold mine. He he said it a number of times and consistently misspeaks. The Ring of Fire is a proposed chromite mining (laughs) development. Of course, chromite not necessarily the key ingredient to electric vehicles Mm -hmm. and the batteries uh, being built to run these vehicles. In fact, lithium, cobalt, and nickel are the main 
key ingredients for lithium ion batteries, which are used in electric vehicles. Nowhere inside of this development are there guarantees on the volume of those ingredients for electric vehicles. And so when you say it's a massive win for First Nations and that the the future of manufacturing electric vehicles in Ontario, of course, pulling on the heartstrings of Windsor and Oshawa and other places, is essentially, in my purview anyway, putting Southern Ontario in a civil war against Northern Ontario. Yes, yes. Because who needs electric vehicles? Southern Ontario. Who's not using electric vehicles? Attawapiskat, where it's minus 50 for half of the year. This is irresponsible, just running these conservative talking points. Exactly. I mean, oh my gosh, Ryan, this just enrages me. It's like when they say, oh, we're going to have this agriculture over here and, you know, you're all going to win. Really? Because we're not going to get the food. We can't afford the food. And it's going to go to someone else, just like water issues. And here you have a scenario where they will pin it against us, too. They'll be like, well, you First Nations, you've been wanting environmental protections. How could you possibly be against electric vehicles? So they will pit us against other people, always positioning us to look irresponsible or irrational or as if we're in conflict with the things that we want. And here they've set it up again. It's going to be with wealthy, affluent people who can afford electric vehicles and get all the rebates and everything else that goes with it uh, versus First Nations who won't get that. And at most will be offered beads and trinkets as usual, which will be Mm -hmm. some jobs and limited time jobs, and we have to accept a whole bunch of destruction of our territories and maybe even a surrender of our rights to allow the project to go ahead. And and none of that is being talked about in this so-called gold, not gold mine. Right. And it's, you know, it is complex. Again, uh, we want to remind people how complex it is. You know, some Matawa mm-hmm. communities have agreed to it. Some in Nan have mm-hmm. not. Like the the whether it's an east west road uh, from Sulukau or a north south road, you know there is a lot mm-hmm. to to think about here. And you know, as governments change, as First Nations governments change, and as the proposal and the, and the dollar value and how much it's actually going to cost to build this thing continues to increase. I mean, the opportunity or at the opportunity as it has been pitched to people. Uh, seems to be really, really, really uh, dissolving at our fingertips. It's kind of like the same analogy, Ryan, like when the Conservative government wanted to enact First Nations Safe Drinking Water Act and pitted us against the legislation. Most Canadians aren't going to read the legislation or know what's involved to know that it's about transfer of liability to First Nations, no funding, uh, criminal charges and things like that. We were, of course, opposed to that legislation, but the title says safe drinking water. And so both the media and politicians positioned us so it looked like we were against safe drinking water. How can we complain if we're not supporting this initiative? And it's the same with electric vehicles. I'm sure most First Nations are not against electric vehicles. It's what kind of damage will be done to the water, to the lands, what's at stake here in terms of man camps and potential risks to First Nations women in these communities. These are very valid considerations that need to be fully thought out before any project goes ahead without forcing them into a, well, you're either for electric vehicles and the environment or you're against it. Because that's not the issue. Those aren't the issues that are actually being talked about at the community level. It's in fact, 
the electric vehicles are almost irrelevant. It's the activity that's involved. Right. And, and you know, the, the for or against, the, you know, the civil war between the North and the yeah. South that, you know, is, is yeah. potentially in front of us is a bit of a moot point. Because as it stands today, APTN's mm-hmm. reporting that Nishkandaga First Nation is suing Ontario for failing to consult on the Ring of Fire development. Of course, Nishkandaga itself is a fly-in uh, OG Creek community, roughly 400 people in the community, where there has been a 26-year boil water advisory, longest running in Canada. Mm-hmm. And um, there are three chiefs that have come out publicly saying that Doug Ford is basically over-operating in a colonial way to get work done without consultation. And so, you know, again, this happens publicly, you know, politicians write big checks to corporations that uh, Mm -hmm. with big promises that say that these lands are going to be opened and uh, communities once again saying we haven't even received so much as a phone call. Yeah. And think about how this is usually set up too. they will also more and more media headlines and politicians will start pitting First Nations against one another. You know, the whole good Indian, bad Indian that we've talked about so much. Well, well, look at these First Nations. They agree to it. It can't be so bad. So what's wrong with you holdouts? You're just against development. You're against jobs. You're against electric vehicles. Really forgetting that every single First Nation has the right to choose for itself what it will or won't do. And there's no majority First Nations sign on to something trumps everybody else. That That's not how it works for Indigenous rights or free prior and informed consent. That's a colonial kind of ideology. As long as you have that 51%, you know, you can ram anything through in society. Not so much when it comes to First Nations rights. So I would be watching the media headlines very closely in the coming weeks that they will start pitting these First Nations against each other. And that really has devastating consequences for us at the grassroots level when we have to kind of counter that pitting so that we're not pit against each other and that we can each respect each other's positions. Well, and the spin, as you rightly identified, will be directed at First Nations people. Of course, it'll be spun in the media that once again, we're being difficult to work with and Mm -hmm. uh, we don't have our shit together enough to come to the table meaningfully. And the truth is where I'm going to keep my eye on is that there are 18 companies uh, and individuals that hold over 13,000 active claims in the region itself. And so there is going to be a war amongst themselves and each other to look at who's going to be able to take what from the ground. And so what they know is there is a whole lot of chromite. And what they're after is a supposed nickel deposit. And uh, Eagle's Nest is the name of the deposit. And uh, we'll see. I don't know that this will ever get done in the way that anyone thought it would, because it is a goddamn mess. And so for Crawley and others that are running this in the media without all of that context and without Mm -hmm. uh, doing that due diligence, by just running that First Nations are standing in the way of this development, uh, fundamentally not true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're planting the seeds for conflict when it doesn't have to be that way. That's Shortcuts for this week. Thanks for joining me, Pam. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. You can email Jesse at jesse at CanadaLand.com. He reads everything you send. Where can people find you online, Pam? Pam underscore Palmeter is what I am on Twitter, or you can just go to my website for all my content, pampalmeter.com. 
all your social media full of really, really interesting content. Your own podcast, of course, Warriors Like Podcast. Pam, it was so good to hear your voice here. This episode was produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production from Tiffany Lamb and Tristan Capacchione. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Theme music is by so-called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. You know someone who loves Canada land and you are going to get them a holiday gift? You can do so now. You can get them a gift of a subscription. Head over to canadaland.com slash gift to do that today. If you like what we do and you'd like to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us by hitting the link in our show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Mm-hmm.